You are listening to The Star Coach Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 207. What I see often is that um, we are so, at least in the culture, Western cultures, specifically in the American culture, so conditioned to be successful or achieve things. And that then creates assumption in the inexperienced coaches that I need to facilitate client achieving something end of this session. That dismisses the value of client self-awakening and self-awareness and their ability to choose to act, choose not to act. As a coach, we can't have the preference. We need to create environment for them to choose to act, choose not to act, choose to stay ambivalent, choose whatever they want to choose, right? So when the coach's desires or their feedback mechanism is looking for a, some sort of an action-oriented goal, mm-hmm. that's the coach's need, gets significantly way into their listening. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Welcome to the show. It's wonderful to have you here. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler. And I know that there are thousands of podcasts out there. So the fact that you are taking time to be a part of the Star Coach Show to explore different strategies, tools, and resources for coaches each and every week warms my heart. Thank you for being here. I have an extra special guest to introduce you to in just a minute. And I did want to share with you that I have just gotten back from a cross-country trip. My husband and I drove from Texas to Illinois to see his aging parents and his mom in memory care, which is so hard these days because we can't actually hug her or connect with her, which I think is so important when somebody has Alzheimer's and you're just not certain how much you're connecting. We had to visit with her through a glass panel, but seeing her eyes light up when she saw my husband just meant so much. And it's about that connection. And I, the connection is one of those things that I hope that this show does, connects you with one another, connects you with coaching. So that was a special experience. And and then we drove to Michigan, where I'm from, and visited with a brother of mine who has suffered several strokes and is in rapid decline. And just his joy to see us and to, to be a part of the experience of visiting with him and sharing his love of life and and um, his sheer just joy of of having us visit was so heartwarming. And I know I shared this with those of you who are on my newsletter list uh, and, and who I'm able to reach weekly through the newsletter, but there was just such joy there. 
We were then able to travel to the very tip of the mitten, which those of you in the United States know that Michigan is sort of shaped like a mitten, the lower peninsula. And I was able to participate in the care of my mom, who also had um, some strokes a couple years ago and is disabled and was just so humbled by what my two sisters who normally take care of my mom do on an ongoing basis, being able to be a part of her caretaking and, and laugh with her and cry with her and just be a part of that experience as my sister became a grandmother for the first time. And so she was then able to go spend time with her new grandbaby and her daughter who was becoming a mom for the first time. So one of the lessons learned for me over this past two weeks that I've been traveling is just the importance of human connection, the importance of respecting and uh, loving people wherever they are in life. And I know that particularly with the difficulties across the world of trying to connect in times of COVID and, and be aware of one another's needs is just so important. And and so I thank you for the opportunity to share that with you again, because what I got back from the newsletter that I sent out sharing the story was that people really resonated with the struggles that they're each having as well. And some of the uh, support and the love that was sent to me from the community. Uh, I just wanted to thank all of you for that and thank thank goodness that we can be here for one another and connect with one another. And um, the show today is is definitely about connection. My guest is a dear friend, Tijan Ginko is a master certified coach, and she has experience in every aspect of coaching as a practitioner, as a mentor, as a coach educator. She is an executive life and well-being coach. She specializes in cultural transformation through mindful awakening of individuals and companies. She combines neuroscience and transcendental approaches to behavioral change. Now, Tijan and I have the pleasure of being able to do some practicum experience together with with new coaches coming through the UTD program. And she's so thoughtful and gentle of spirit and so skilled in coaching that I was excited to bring her in front of all of you to discuss the process of deep listening and the importance. And as Tijan will say in her interview, you know, there is the science of coaching and then the being of coaching. And we're going to talk about the being of coaching, really honoring deep listening. Tijan's going to give some wonderful examples of how to be fully present with your clients, how to remove the barriers that can sometimes get in the way of deep listening and be fully present. And because of that, that's like I wanted to share my experience and my story with all of you of what I've been going through over the past couple weeks in connecting and, and presence and, and to 
help you all understand that what we do as coaches, yeah, we do that with our clients. But when we can be as a coach, we are in that place, whether we're with family or people in stores or, you know, driving thousands of miles with your spouse uh, side by side. So the presence that we bring forward as coaches is, is just so key. And in today's interview, as Tijan and I discuss the power and, and the importance of honoring deep listening, I'm just really honored to bring her forward and to let you know that Tijan provides mentor coaching and lectures in academia. She is very dedicated to helping coaches be the very best they can be. She uses her unique approach of incorporating mindfulness and neuroscience into all behavioral change. And it also participates in corporate social responsibility efforts. In 2013, Tijan served three months in India towards improving the quality of maternal health services in rural areas and coaching across complex sponsoring organizations and with social workers as well. So Tijan is all about kind of creating this coaching experience and it starts, it really starts with deep listening. So let's go to my interview with Tijan Ginko about honoring the art of deep listening. Tijan, welcome to the Star Coach Show. Thanks for being here with us. I am so joyful, Meg. It's beyond delightful to be with you here today. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, I knew that you would be such a gift to the audience because we've known each other for years now and you have such a way about you when it comes to helping coaches understand the art and the flow of coaching. And so I just said to you one day, well, Tijan, why are you, why have you not come on the show? And we just hadn't even thought about that. So today we're talking about deep listening and some of the barriers that can get in the way of deep listening. We're going to not just give you the barriers, people. We're going to give you ways to get past those barriers. But I couldn't have a more skilled coach coming to you to bring that to you. So thanks for, for bringing your specialty to us today. Thank you so much. And you just being so kind. I appreciate and then love hearing all that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. So why don't we start with your journey into coaching? What is it that brought you into coaching and particularly into the kind of coaching you do and the teaching that you do? Yeah, thank you so much. So um, what brought me into coaching was really I was doing a lot of mentoring in the area of process and service excellence. I realized that you can design the best service, best process, but that doesn't mean that people who need to follow the service rules or the process are going to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> we were coming up as the um, best processes and after doing all, all, a lot of uh, lean Six Sigma methodologies. And we were finding out that people needed to follow the process, they weren't. So then I understood that 
you have to include the human component to it. Mm -hmm. That's how I got into coaching. And um, yet, though, I didn't stay in that space, although I loved the executive uh, and professional coaching component. Mm -hmm. And I have 23 years of corporate experience in the background in there. I have such a passion for understanding why things work the way they do. And I'm a lifelong seeker of truth. So that led me into more of a meditation and mindfulness and all that. So really my authentic and true calling is the, I call it spiritual coaching, not in a way of religion uh, concept, but evolving human consciousness. So that's uh, where it is. And this, I think the audience, the people listening to us will get kick out of this, that Meg was actually one of my professors when I went through this UTD program. And now here we are collaborating. It's such a joy. It is such a joy. And you have, you have been so intentional about your path. So you have uh, the spiritual coaching and you are also, we've invited you to be um, one of one of the co-instructors in one of the courses I teach to be able to really get in there and give some direct feedback on how the the coaches are coaching. And then you teach another course. So we've just, I think um, through seeing your evolution, you've become an MCC. Congratulations for all of that. It just made sense to bring you in and have you help share that which you're so good at with the students that that come through the program. And one of the things that we have the joy of meeting the students when they first come, we're the very first course that they have. And um, some of the struggles that, well, and I don't even want to be negative and say struggles, but when we are learning coaching, there are some things that we really need to learn and think about. So Tijan and I thought we'd start with looking at the competencies when the competencies, particularly in relation to the coach partnership and deep listening. So where do we want to start when we think about the core competencies, Tijan? Yeah, thank you for that, Meg. I think if we said it in a way that although we are struggling as a world now getting out of dualistic mind <laughs> into holistic mind. But um, there is the dualistic sort of representation and skill set in coaching, right? The one is the science of coaching, evidence-based methodologies, tried and true. And the other part is the beingness of coaching right. and art of coaching. I think that we do such a great job in the Western societies teaching people evidence-based methodology and not as good of a job to teach the coaches art of coaching. Then they get into interpreting the competencies solely and literally. Then they get in a way of being in the coaching conversation. So that's, I think, um, I would say the biggest challenge 
that the coaches face. So what are some of the things that you see in that interpretation? So if you were to look at the competencies and you were to, first of all, just identify some of the common hiccups or the common experiences that you see of that interpretation that actually pulls away from the being. Yeah. So isn't, I think also audience uh, will be helpful audience to know we both assess also right the uh, recordings for ICF as well as the UTD. So um, what I see over and over again, that whether we are doing part of the education or when they are uh, coming to me to assess for their credentialing process, that often um, inexperienced coaches interpret the competencies literally and they expect them to be demonstrated in an order. I need to ask about what do you want to talk about today? What do you want to walk away today? Right after that, (laughs) how are you going to know right after that? So they have this literal interpretation. A linear almost. Linear. Yeah, that it's literal. I'm supposed to ask these particular questions. And so I just do that. So we're coaching to the competencies instead of being with our client. Absolutely, exactly, because then they are so concerned about the science and methodology of coaching, they forget that they are with a human being and it's a sacred time and they need to listen. So because they think I'm going to ask, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to walk away? Then they're not listening what it is kind of saying. Right, right. So so that very thing um, if, if we've got this list of questions in our head, we're, are we really receiving what the client is offering? And, and when we can truly be in that space and, and understand what the client really wants. So it kind of begins with creating that agreement or that outcome, huh? Absolutely. And to think about it, if we understand ourselves, like as a client, I ask these to my coach students, right? how likely you're going to know exactly what you want to walk away from the session the minute I ask you the agenda question. I don't, right? right? Right. If we knew, we wouldn't need a coach. We can probably figure it out ourselves. Right. it takes time to explore a little bit. And therefore, if the coach is thinking about, I need to ask that and get somewhere, some kind of agreement within the five minutes or so, or even up to the 20 minutes, it's my limit, then they're not really going to explore with the client and listen to the client. It takes time to unearth things. You know, I think I love this um, metaphor in a way. We are like a spiritual anthropologist. We go and we kind of take a brush a little bit, uncover the truths underneath of it, and then we can set the agenda, right? Okay, so what you would recommend instead of right out of the gate, we're going to ask these questions, we're going to we're going to just go down the list. And, and I don't know, in your experience, I know that between the two of us, we've probably listened to hundreds of yeah. coaching conversations, maybe even close to a thousand. I mean, we've listened to 
hundreds of coaching conversations. So one of the things that I hear when a very well-intentioned, inexperienced coach is trying to do the best they can to meet their client, they end up asking the same question again and again. So with these, these outcome questions, you know, what would you like to focus on today? What do you want to walk away with? What does success look like? What, you know, what, but they, they just keep, so if the client is stuck, I see a loop happening. And I'm wondering if you've ever had that experience in, in listening and what you would tell that, that coach student that you're helping to coach around that. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I think it happens because, again, these are prematurely asked questions. When the client doesn't know, most of the time, there are some clients, exceptional clients, that I'm sure you have them too. They don't want to set an agenda. They just want to figure themselves out in the mm-hmm. presence of deep listener. Let's put them aside. Right. But in general, what happens is that if the, you ask the outcome question prematurely, they don't know. And in fact, I say, I'm sure you heard it too, that if the client is telling you some sort of a list or a strategy, that outcome question asks too soon. Mm-hmm. because it needs to be explored. And so therefore, it's not enough, then the client is not answering you because they don't know yet. So you need to then ask questions about what makes this a problem for this person? Mm-hmm. How come they need my help to solve the problem? Right. right? Because we often get very capable people. Right. It's so- easy. Too. Yeah. yeah, what what has brought this to the table for you today? What's made this important for you? What's made you bring it to coaching? Yeah. How can we work together and and what help do you, do you kind of need through this process? So being able to be curious about what is happening and build a better platform of understanding of what's going on before we cuz many times we know what's not working but we don't have a clear idea of what we need to do to get to the other end. And many times I've heard a client say, well, that's why I'm here. I don't know. I don't know that yet. That's why I want to work with you as a coach. So that, those are some indicators that maybe you're moving into that question too soon. Yes. And I think those are the times I'm sure you heard it too, that we can hear clients' frustration starts to mm-hmm. come up. And then coach gets in the frustrating space because they feel like they need to perform, right? (laughs) And that's what I also constantly say to my students that get your needs met outside of the coaching session. You may need to work in a very clearly defined environment, but not every client is going to give those to you. So then we need to adjust to the client needs and together figure out. And we all tell it to the students, learn to work in the ambiguous environments. You know, that's the best skill that coach can get, right? So that whole part about the coach being aware, so we need to be self-aware, aware of what our needs are, and then it's not up to the client to meet our needs as the coach. What are some things that you see 
in the coach's needs. One you said was being uncomfortable in ambiguity, just like, you know, wanting it to be more clear, more, more cut. And maybe the client needs to meander a little bit. Maybe the client needs to be able to work things out in that space of deep listening. What other needs do you see that coaches can kind of fall in the place of their need interfering with their deep listening? Hmm. What I see often is that um, we are so, at least in the culture, Western cultures, specifically in the American culture, so conditioned to be successful or achieve things. And that then creates assumption in the inexperienced coaches that I need to facilitate client achieving something end of this session. That dismisses the value of client self-awakening and self-awareness and their ability to choose to act, choose not to act. As a coach, we can't have the preference. We need to create an environment for them to choose to act, choose not to act, choose to stay ambivalent, choose whatever they want to choose, right? So when the coach's desires or their feedback mechanism is looking for a, some sort of an action-oriented goal, mm-hmm. that's the coach's need, gets significantly way into their listening. So, so, so true. What else, if anything, about the coach's needs before we move into the coach's language, which is another super important thing to look at? (laughs) Yeah, I think that another thing that the coaches need to get feedback. Some people that as coaches, it is very important for us to understand what feedback mechanism we are looking for. If we know that uh, if if you are one of those coaches that you can self-indicate this is going well, regardless of client is progressing or not, you'll be okay staying with the client. If you're constantly looking for verbal feedback from others, then often coach wants to get the client to validate them. They're on the right track and so on. That also breaks the flow the dance between coach and the client breaks the flow of the progress of the session and also can frustrate both coach and the client because then it turns into become about the coach. Go yeah. Ahead. And yeah. then, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, anytime the coach is in the center of the session, yeah. it's, it's not a good place. So just in general, and guys, we're all human. We, we are doing the best we can. But if at any point you realize that there's a lot of I, I, I happening as and coming out of your mouth as the coach, if you are caught up in, am I bringing this client value? Am I bringing this client value? Um, am I asking the perfect question? I, am I creating this aha moment for them? The, all of those solidly put the, the, the focus of the session on you. So whatever you need to do to put it back on the client, it's not about the coach, it's on the client. It's a client-centered experience. So um, with, within that, Tijin, anything you would add about how to get the heck out of the middle of the session and put the client back in there? 
Beautifully said, Meg. Thank you. Yeah, I think two things in there is that if you notice that tendency, get coaching yourself, right? That um, your anxieties, your self-validations or whatever, we all have it. Get those resolved so that they don't accompany you and ha- um, hack the coaching conversation, right? Right, right. <laughs> and and other thing is important is the language. I often don't even like the word um, questioning, did I get that right? Because again, it takes then the flow from the client mm-hmm. to the coach. The minute you ask question that, then the client needs to validate you. Instead, use, again, open-ended questions and use different ways of reflect, uh, whatever you reflected to check back in. So the language is also important that we need to be aware. Yeah. The other thing about language is that your language, the way that the meaning you put on words, the things that mean something to you, doesn't necessarily align that that means the same thing with the client. So one of the things that we work very hard when it comes to language is being sure that we don't fall into assumption, that that we stay in that place of curiosity, solidly putting the client in the middle. When we're deeply listening, we're deeply listening for how the client is seeing it, how the client is experiencing it, what about this situation is important to the client and where do they want to go with it? Not, oh my gosh, yeah, I had another client that had that same issue last week. I know exactly what to do with this client. Or, um, you know, yes, this is, my, this is my sweet spot and I know exactly, so I'm going to start directing because I heard something that triggered something in me, which is this next thing we're going to talk about which is the client's model of the world. Tell us a little bit about, A, for anybody who hasn't heard that or understand that, what, what do we think about when we think about model of the world? Thank you for that. I learned that concept the first time from you. <laughs> so um, as we really, uh, in a way that our socialization process gives us a interpretive language almost that if this and that happens that's how you understand kind of a thing Mm -hmm. and often that our caretakers is the first time that help us to create that interpretation and um, so therefore when we're thinking about meaning making about the world around us and um, interpreting if this happened and the next thing happened, it means it's going to create that sort of a result, as you said earlier, is very personal and cultural in a way, mm-hmm. right? So even in the, if we think about it, those of you have siblings, you can say that you grow up in the same home and they, when you're talking about the same memory, you have a different understanding about it, right? So true. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Even then that when our cultures match and the upbringing match, that we still have different filters. So therefore, it's very important for us to not take everything client says through our interpretive mechanisms, 
but really check in with them to see what it means for them, what it, how they make meaning out of them, and so that we don't translate. It gets into another question you asked earlier. Coaches need to translate into their language. And if that's part of your need, we can certainly coach without understanding anything client is saying using their language, right? Mm -hmm. it, it takes a certain skill set. But if that's your need, once you understand, at least match it back to the client's language again so that things don't get lost in the translation. And um, so specifically what I hear happens is that if the client is using metaphors and other things, coach takes it, understands, and then comes back with another metaphor. <laughs> Use what client said. Use yeah. their, right? Emotionally mm -hmm. charged back words, charged words, re repeat that back to them. Don't think that it's exactly how you understand. Right. And, and I think that that is so key, particularly those emotionally charged words. When we, and I remember long ago, hearing a conversation between two coaches, and the client was expressing some frustration in a work situation. And the coach said back, so what makes you so angry about that? Yeah. And the client said, I'm not angry. I mean, you know, it wasn't like I'm not angry like I really am angry. It was like there was frustration there that the coach had taken that emotionally charged language that the client was using and Twisted, twisted it into something that wasn't what was being expressed. And that created a disconnect because it was an emotionally charged mm -hmm. uh, experience for the client. And when the coach interpreted it and put it in their own language, it was a disconnect for the client. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. The coach took it into their model of the world. And um, maybe in their case, frustration equals anger right. versus the client, it doesn't. Right. And there, maybe it's a big thing for the client. Anger is such an explosive thing. They don't know. So they are going to feel like you're not listening to them. They're not being understood. And then the whole thing happens. So even I say to them that like if whatever the client's saying is not making sense at all to you. In fact, this is the case for me when I am a client often because I do a lot of meditation and self-reflection. My coaching sessions often are very conceptual level. Mm -hmm. I processed it already. I'm deeply. <laughs> so, and then when somebody hasn't done that kind of coaching, they're like, what? What are you talking about? But you can easily coach me if you just repeat back my language to me. But you didn't have to do that sort of reflection to be able to coach me. It's okay. Just say whatever it is at what in the beginning. Start with what and the client language and make a simple question. You'll be the best coach ever. Coach ever. <laughs> and, and I think that that is so key. So using those building blocks, using, you know, those what at the beginning, using the client's idiosyncratic language, not necessarily, and this does not mean reflecting back every single thing that they just said, like before you can ask any questions. So that's the other thing that I think, can get in the way of deep listening. If I'm listening as a coach 
to be able to repeat everything back to my client, then I'm not listening for the essence of what's really being said. I'm listening for the words because chances are I'm trying to figure out where are we going and what am I going to do with this? So if we can instead listen to what's the client presenting and how am I responding to that, hopefully with a what question, um, maybe with a reflection, like taking those key things and just reflecting them back and stop and see where the client takes that. Yes, that's beautiful, Meg. Thank you for that. And I think in a, in a way that tonal listening is key to catch those emotionally charged words. Maybe we should give this tip. Yeah, back. let's talk about tonal listening. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, if you listen to the client, you're going to see blah, 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 oh, blah, 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 oh, and, and you're going to catch those things. <laughs> And then are often repeated, right? We mm -hmm. just had a mentor session this morning and the, the example client that we had maybe said 10 times struggle. They're going to keep repeating, right? Yes. So yeah, watch for those. Clients are not, they're not looking to get a verbatim from you, right? And as a matter of fact, that can also begin to to interfere with the coaching. I've heard clients say, yes, I just said that. Yeah. Um, I know that the intention when we, when I've heard coaches do that might be, I want them to know that I've heard. And what I will say is if you ask a question that helps take them deeper in what they've said, then they know you've heard because your question aligns with what they've just said. You don't have to repeat everything to let them know that you've said your, your presence and hearing the, the key elements and asking a question about that is very, very much representative of being present and, and aware with them. What, yes. what would you like to add to that? Yeah, I, I really love that. And, and also, I think it goes back to prevents listening if you're trying to take verbatim notes and also it, um, it speaks to the coach's need to learn you know some coaches that again knowing thyself right mm -hmm. if your need is to write down everything to learn you may need to change your learning style because in every coaching session we're a learner right? We're right. learning everything about the particular agenda item that is brought into the space. And, but we need to learn differently, more, more almost like a connecting to that sort of a learning than having all the information because we're, we're in a different way of data processing in a way mm -hmm. without all the data. So you brought up the element of taking notes and I get that question. I would repeatedly, I get the question, do you take notes and how do you take notes and, and what do you do? So let's, let's answer that. I mean, what, what's your take on note taking in a session? Yeah, I think I will answer that in two ways, right? The one is, uh, Maybe you are more brave than I am in this because of your therapy background. I don't want anything that's uh, going to be 
liability for me or I have to subpoena by court. So I take no notes at all in a session because of that. When I say no notes, that is no personally identifiable information or copious note taking anything. But what I do is whenever client has those tonal listening importance or repetitive words, I write struggle. I write um, reacting. I write fight or whatever the things have the charged words. Mm-hmm. And then I see how can I construct them in a sentence that is going to make sense. Right. And even if it doesn't, as we both know, client is going to hear their emotional words and going to respond that is going to reveal more information. Right. So good. So I you know my take on, on note taking is, is pretty much the same thing. I do like to capture what the goal for the session is when we've created an understanding of where we want to get so that Mm -hmm. I can use that as a touch point, just a few key words um, so that we can touch base on that and be sure that the client is taking the journey that they want to through the session. Um, And then the idea of capturing just those key words that might really help the client go deeper. Um, I, I believe that if you're all caught up in note taking, you can't be deeply listening, which is why I brought it up in this session um, on our deep listening session, because that if, if you're, if you're catching it now, I will also say that sometimes people are super good at, at paying attention and just kind of, keeping up notes depending upon the way that they are sort of trained. I mean, some people are just in, if somebody's a, a, what do you call it? Shorthand person, you Mm -hmm. know, that they take shorthand, those kinds of things. But um, maybe we went too deep into that, but that's just my, my uh, belief about note taking that if, if the note is more important than the interaction, the notes in the way. Yeah, and that that becomes coach's need. But I'm I'm glad that you mentioned the agenda and an outcome desired. I forgot to mention that. And I do the same. And I also make a note every time if there is a fork in the road that is shifting so that I can present them with the full progression of the where we started, where we uh, take a turn and then where we end up with. Yes. So, um, yeah, that will be helpful for them to know. Good. Not taking yeah. Tijin, I could just talk to you and talk to you. And it's such an important subject, the, the deep listening and what could potentially get in the way of that. Is there anything that we have not covered that's important to address before we wrap up our discussion today? I think we touched upon everything and, um, like you said, I can talk to you in hours and I still have a wonderful time. I, one more thing I want to add, which is again about coaches' meaning making and language. Sometimes that we talked about translation of the model of the world into theirs, but uh, there is also the our expressive language. Some of us are thinkers. So that language comes as a thinking language. Some of us are feelers, that's that. And some of us are sensing. So it is important, again, coaches to understand what their language is 
and then match their language to the clients. Sometimes that what happens that the client talks about feeling and then coach responds with thinking that also gets in the way of listening. And, and absolutely, and vice versa. I've heard clients say, well, I've thought about such and such, or, and, then, and then the coach says, well, how does that make you feel? Yeah. <laughs> it's like a disconnect. It's like, well, follow the, the, the client's road. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. good. Tijen, thank you. Thank you for bringing your special sauce to us and sharing oh, it with us today. Thank you for having me. It's such a joy, and I had a blessed time with you. Thank you, Meg. <laughs> it is always such a joy to spend time with Tijin, and I hope that all of you benefited from our discussion about showing up fully with curiosity and deep listening for our clients. If you'd like to know more about Tijin or Ginkgo Coaching, go to starcoachshow.com, episode 207 show notes. Now I invite you back next week as I visit with leadership coach David Veach. David is going to share aspects of critical thinking for leaders. This information is great if you're a leader. It's great if you're a coach of leaders. Um, he's He's got some specific information and some downloads for you all about the process that he's going to be talking about. And um, it's, it's a really exciting interview. And I look forward to you coming back next week for that. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving a rate and review wherever you listen to the podcast so that more people can find us and benefit from this great wisdom that is being shared by our guests. I invite you also to join me every Wednesday morning at the Star Coach Facebook page to discuss coaching each Wednesday morning, 9 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Eastern. Until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your health and well-being and your coaching success. We'll see you next week.